Hello, hello, and welcome to Technically Biased, the podcast that discusses bias in tech. Today's episode will be discussing gender equity and women empowerment on the international platform. And we have guest speaker Aaliyah Flanagan sharing her perspective. She has a background in international relations, gender equity, women empowerment, everything I just mentioned. She studied in New York City for her undergrad and in Hungary and Austria for her master's where she wrote her thesis on international relations and affairs. And I will let her jump into her thesis in more depth soon enough. But Aliyah, can you please introduce yourself a little more? Hi, everyone. Yes, my name is Aliyah. I'm from the US and I have dual citizen in uh, Germany as well. So I currently live in Warsaw, Poland, working for an international organization on human rights. And I've lived in countries such as France, Slovenia, Hungary, Malaysia, Austria, Poland. And in about one month, I'll be moving to Cambodia. And I've had internships with the U.S. State Department. I worked in NGOs as well as, as of now, the international organization. And then soon, the Peace Corps. And you wrote your thesis was on women in leadership invisible challenges and countermeasures and you have such an extensive background from your studies but also obviously from the many places you've lived can you start off by sharing how you got into this career trajectory what brought you abroad and what focused your interest on this topic absolutely so what got me interested in gender equality uh, was when I took women's studies class in high school. And that opened up my perspective that there are issues around the world that we are unaware of wherever we live, especially in the US and small suburban towns. And it got me really interested in working with women and in women empowerment and gender equality. So from there, when I did my bachelor's in international studies, I did a minor in women gender studies. And from this, it really got me interested in wanting to do my master's abroad. During my bachelor's, since I did one year abroad in Paris, France, and then one semester in Slovenia, Ljubljana, I wanted to stay in Europe. And as a German citizen, I was able to. After I did my master's, I realized I loved living abroad and I loved working in international relations and especially in gender equality, which got me working for the OSCE, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, and right now ODEA, which is the Institution for Democratic Institutions and Human Rights. So all of it came together because of my past experiences and just wanting to deepen my knowledge of different cultures and new places to live. And so for some background, Aliyah and I have known each other for a few years. So I have personally enjoyed watching your trajectory because it's always exciting to see what you're working on next or where you're living. And so I knew about your German background. I didn't realize that you had dual citizenship. But with that in mind, how do you think that influenced your perspective and your interest in other cultures and your ability to be open-minded? 
It definitely had an influence. From a young age, I was just constantly exposed to new cultures. And from that, I just developed an open-mindedness. And I went to German school on weekends in the U.S., and I took German classes from sixth grade on, so around seven years of actual school. And I have grandparents that still live in Germany, so every year I go and visit them, and just being around just a different culture, it just gives you more appreciation that there is more out there. And it also just gives you an awareness of your own privilege and what you have as well, when especially when you leave uh, where you are from. And in general, from having a sort of cultural awareness and just sensitivity, because I've grown up uh, in a bicultural household, it helped me where I am now because I know that there are different contexts with different cultures and you have to approach different cultures differently so for example uh humor is taken very differently in different cultures and americans can be seen as very direct so you have to learn to navigate how to be this especially as americans when you're abroad you're perceived as being loud so you learn to be softer so it's just this i've learned from a young age And I think anyone that travels and anyone that sees different parts of the world gained this experience themselves. And I was lucky that I was able to understand these, especially societal gender norms from a young age and not oppose my own views and other cultures when I go there too. And I think that's a very good point because um, for my listeners, I am first-generation American. So I've also noticed how this perspective is very important. And it's not necessarily that one side is right and one side is wrong. But like you said, it's this idea that we need to understand how people perceive different things so that we can make sure that we are getting the appropriate message across and that we're getting it across in the way that we want. And with that in mind, I'm going to redirect back to your thesis because I know you interviewed so many incredible women in leadership positions from across the world. And so if you could touch on the different uh, roles these women played and what you've learned from this experience. Absolutely. I loved writing my thesis and I even looked at making it into maybe a book or something more. Uh, It has been, I think, two years since I wrote it, uh, and I've just been so busy, but maybe in the future I want to develop it further because I just had so much fun talking to these women. So yeah, I interviewed around 16 women in leadership positions from international organizations, non-government organizations, government positions, and as well as education. So some positions that were held were ambassadors, directors, head of offices, founders or CEOs of NGOs, senior advisors, consultants. So it really ranged, which was a great. And I focused on the challenges they endured in a leadership position because I found when I was doing my research that literature focused on the challenges women have while getting into a leadership position, but not so much when they're there. And I couldn't find many 
examples of women themselves, the experiences they have and what they do to counteract these challenges. So I focused on the challenges and the countermeasures. So I can give a brief, brief because it was a lot um, of some of the challenges that these women have spoken out of. There were maybe half of them, a little less than half, they were anonymous, which speaks volumes in itself because they were afraid of retaliation. And you have to keep in mind that I don't know if if roles were reversed, if it would be the same, um, but that would be interesting data to see. Some challenges were gender bias and dictated gender roles. Women were often seen as weaker sex, um, as well as gendered language and diplomacy. And this came up the private versus public sector, where private is seen as a women's sphere. An example someone gave was, when you're a good professional, a woman must not be a good wife in private or a good mother. You can't be both, basically. Um, women were seen also as gender deviants. Uh, a story I extracted from my thesis was uh, the director of an NGO. Um, this NGO basically performed theater arts in countries to help promote awareness and also help peace and everything. It was a really great NGO and is a really interesting take on international relations, basically. And she said when she was in Pakistan or Afghanistan, there were separate rooms for women and men and men. And foreign women could enter both because they were perceived as a third sex. They were not female. They were not male. They're not fully female because they're not the same. They're not in the same culture, religion, same physical features and such. So women, especially foreign women, are seen as gender deviants, which is interesting. The interviewees that I had that were more on the younger side talked a lot about ageism, especially ageism integrated into sexism. So young women were treated often as children, so they were not taken seriously. Another challenge that they found was that sectors often gendered. So, you know, military, security, disarmament, it's masculine. And peacekeeping and human rights is feminine. Another example that isn't often seen is limitations by other women. Unfortunately, this is often a case where women tend to adapt masculine attributes and prefer male colleagues so they can get ahead, which hurts not only themselves, but all women in the process. There was one woman who had a woman supervisor who preferred every male colleague in the room and oscillated her many times because she thought this was a way for her to get ahead. I also talked about hidden challenges that is not covered by mainstream literature and media. And a lot is main, mansplaining and being overlooked. So a lot of times when women are in meetings, they talk or they raise a point and it gets ignored. And then their male colleague says the same thing and they're praised. An example I took from my a thesis was an ambassador explained when she was a young diplomat working uh, only with men in the office, they were all away and a senior male colleague came in and asked her, where's everyone? And she stated, oh, and they're away on a duty trip. And he goes, okay, so no one's here then and walked out. So basically she did not exist. And 
it's just a challenge that women face constantly. They're not taken seriously. They're not seen as professional. Another is a lot about recruitment and applications. Um, men get hired for potential, whereas women should already have the potential for the position. And a lot of women brought this up, um, that they've either experienced it or even seen it in recruitment, that a man gets hired because, oh, he has the potential to become a great leader. Whereas women, they should already be a great leader. So it's double standards. After that, I talked about countermeasures that women do more on the micro level. So day to day, I focused more on the smaller actions that they can do because I wanted this to be sort of a how-to guide for women on what to do when you're in the office and you encounter something like this. And a lot of suggestions were informal alliances and support groups with your fellow colleagues, whether it's, you know, all the women together, you strategize before your meeting, who's going to speak what, what are we going to do? Because when more than one speak up, then it's harder to ignore. Another is mentoring, whether it's unofficial or official, just having someone under your wing or you find someone to mentor yourself. Another one is just speaking up, especially when you're overlooked. An example that I took from my thesis was a male supervisor was talking about their new boss to a room and he kept using he, him pronouns. Didn't occur to him once that the new boss could be a woman or any gender. So this woman, she spoke up and stated, oh, or she, her. And everyone, all the men in the room just looked at her and she received backlash from this. But by doing that, she spoke up for women. Another one is just supporting each other, promoting women empowerment, and also having male allies. That's really important because we can't get anywhere without the support of everyone. If it's only one half of the population raising it up, you can't get anywhere without the other half. Um, another one is talking about with culture norms and gender norms. It really depends on the context you're in. When you're in a country with strict cultural norms, if someone makes a sexist comment, you should not be direct with them because they take that really offensively. You should not laugh it, laugh it off, but laugh with them and slowly explain that it's not okay. And then I had another interviewee stated where she was, it was not so strict. So she spoke up every single time and was direct. When someone would make a sexist comment, she would ask, oh, can you please explain? And by having them explain it, they fumbled and they realized it was not okay or no one else laughed then. So by just doing those like little things, it really depends on the context you're in. And the last one that I extracted was just networking and just raising awareness of women's achievements, because a lot of times it's invisible. And especially feminist IR scholars focus on making it visible. And that's like really important, I think, for us when you have a you know, fellow colleague or someone you know, that's done something great or has achieved something, you know, praise them, but make other people aware as well. So that is a brief explanation. <laughs> yeah. And you made so many good comments because, um, so I might go back and forth uh, to what you said, but um, you mentioned ageism and mm -hmm. it's amazing that you were able to interview so many different women from different backgrounds 
because we think that it's so easy to say that people exaggerate the issue. But then we can look at Jacinda Ardern, who, if I said her name properly, the prime minister of New Zealand and the ex-prime minister mm -hmm. of um, Finland, Sanna Marin, who I might also yeah. be missing. But these two women were asked if they were friends because they're both young women. And mm -hmm. it's like, never ask two uh, male politicians if that's the reason that they're trying to bring their countries to work on different policies or regulations or what have you together it would never cross your mind that it's because you're buddies yeah another comment that i thought was very interesting was how you mentioned that women worked on creating a platform for each other to speak on and going about this beforehand and a great book that i mentioned in a previous episode is called word slut and it talks about the evolution of gendered language. And a very important note that the author Amanda Montel makes is that when women speak, they tend to have a lot more back and forth and they kind of cheer each other on. So sometimes it can sound like they're interrupting one another because they constantly say, oh yeah, and this and that and whatever. Whereas men tend to go into more monologues and create an environment where they can each take their turn with their own monologue. So going back to what you said about, it's not necessarily that you have to be direct, but you need to understand how others communicate in their own way so that you can make sure that you effectively communicate to them whatever message you're trying to get across. Exactly. I've also noticed that women tend to speak faster and over each other because they don't want to get interrupted because many times women get interrupted, spoken over and such, whereas men are able to take their time, speak in monologues because no one interrupts them. And I had interviewees speak about this, but I've also had experienced this working in different countries as well. And I'm speaking of just having context and speaking over people and such, I've also noticed it really is important on which culture you're in and who you're talking to, because what I've noticed is in the U.S., when you'd have a conversation, it's back and forth overlapping. So it sounds like you're arguing and everything and you just get louder, whereas a lot of countries, especially in Europe, you know, they don't interrupt, they speak, and then they stop. So when an American talks with them, I experienced this when I first moved there, where people thought I was rude, because I would just keep interrupting them, but it's because I wanted to talk and interact with them. So I've learned to, if I accidentally do, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, I did not mean to, please finish, especially if it's a woman, like, I'm so sorry. I had to, like, learn to be like that, because I don't remember doing that when I lived in the U.S., like apologizing because before I'm so used to this back and forth conversation was it's just seen as normal. So it's really important when you go somewhere to know what is respectful and what is disrespectful. And you made a good point to mention male allies, because I think it's so easy to assume that if there's sexism, it's one way and that's the only way. And we often forget that we do have great male allies and that I've noticed in conversations that I'm in, if a woman is interrupted, I've noticed more men waiting for the interrupter to finish and then bringing it back and saying, oh, Kristen, you were saying something before 
XYZ mentioned their comment. And so it's great to notice that men are noticing as well and they're being very civil about it, but they're creating an environment that allows women to speak. And from another angle, I think it's also important to note, mention that, of course, women can be sexist towards other women and they can create an environment that is competitive and that doesn't allow women to grow or empower each other simultaneously. A little tangential, but something that I think is important noting here is you mentioned how your master's started in Hungary, but because of some gender issues. Yeah. Can you Mm -hmm. talk about that a little? Yeah, absolutely. So I went to Central European University, which originally was in Budapest, Hungary, I believe founded in 1991 by George Soros. And it has been in Hungary and the campus is beautiful. And it got, I would say, kicked out of Hungary. It got transitioned um, to Vienna because it was seen as too liberal, especially with the gender studies program, which um, the government did not like. So Vienna happily took this university, which is well known. And so now my class was the first class to move. So we started in Hungary, we did orientation there. Some some of my class did one semester there, and then we moved to Vienna. And now it is all in Vienna. And I think they started a bachelor's program. So they're expanding. But it's just I I believe it was one of the first and maybe the first universities get kicked out in Europe due to their program. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see, even if you want to compare the same topic from different cultures, you can never do so because what Mm -hmm. one country might think about gender equality might be so different from another country, but that's not to say that they're both right or they're both wrong. It's so multifaceted. And we need to look at the big picture to understand how to address it. On that note, can you share your perspective on the current state of gender equality from what you've noticed globally through your studies or through your travels and work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gender equality, it's still in progress. We haven't reached gender equality. I I think the UN sent out statistics that in our lifetime, I don't think we're going to reach it. And but it is gaining trajectory. And the key for it is just raising awareness and just taking action. For progress, things I've noticed, worked on, etc. Um, it is becoming more mainstreamed in all the fields. Gen- gender mainstreaming is everywhere um and currently where I am I'm the gender focal point of HR so and there's every department has a focal point and we focus on gender mainstreaming for the organization and every institute every mission has this so it's really great that it has gotten such a big focus in all areas that is not just seen as gender another thing I've seen is that movements are becoming global and the technology just connects women worldwide. And this is something that has been a big change, especially because of AI and technology, that people are able to see different issues around the world that they didn't see before. Some persistent challenges that I still see in the field, there is still this wrong interpretation of feminism. People don't understand that it is 
equality for all sexes, for all gender. It's very simple and people see it as, you know, women being higher than men, anti-men. I remember in high school, there were guys saying, oh, we should have egalitarian, you know, calling something with equal. And the reason why it's called feminism is because women are the ones uh, marginalized. That is why it's called feminism. It's the same with the Black Lives Matter. It's because, you know, that is what's put, that's what the focus is. So that's why it's called feminism, because the focus is on women and all genders, you know, non-binary, everyone, LGBTQ, that are uh, marginalized in society. I'm going to interrupt you there because I think we often see this gender disparity as only impacting women negatively. But then mm-hmm. we don't look at the fact that more men in America than women commit suicide. And so there's also that sexism there where men need to be in control of their emotions and they can't ask for help. So sexism hurts everyone regardless. You know, to be a feminist means that men should be able to safely share their emotions. They should have a platform to do whatever they want. If that means being a stay-at-home husband or stay-at-home father, whatever it is, it means that there should be a safety net that allows people to do what truly empowers them while not marginalizing someone else, regardless of their gender. Absolutely. I think with men, they are told to hold in their emotions it's suppressed and it comes out at some point usually it is yeah catastrophic so it is like feminism and gender equality is just making sure everyone is equal you know there's a difference between equality and equity you know and I think a lot of people think that it just means basically 100% equal 50-50 when it's not like that it's it's different but it is about getting equal rights. An article I, I found um, in preparation for this, um, I I'm, I apologize if I mispronounce her name. She is an Australian uh, feminist scholar, Akane Kanai. Um, it's called like Between the Perfect and Problematic Everyday Femininities, Popular Feminism and the Negotiation of Intersectionality. And there she talks about the different types of feminism, specifically popular or celebrity feminism. And that is seen as being independent and confident and resilient. And if you're not, you're a bad feminist. You're not a feminist because you have to be these, you have to be a strong woman, independent, perfect. And another one is just staying up to date with everything. And you should know everything as a feminist. And it's, it's not about that. And we forget that being a feminist means if you want to be a stay-at-home mother, if you want to be a housewife, great. Wife. You yeah, you, you do, that. do that. Yeah, That's amazing. But the yeah. idea is you do you and create a safe platform and environment for other people to do the same for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to save this question for last, but you kind of touched on some of the topics. So... With the new Barbie movie out, there's a lot of backlash about, you know, gender norms. Apparently, a lot of relationships are ending as a result of the movie and women realizing that they're just not on the same page as their partners. So do you have any thoughts regarding the theme? Yeah, I love the Barbie movie. I saw it twice, cried. 
you know, wanted to call my mom right away and, you know, tell her I love her. And my favorite quote of that is when they said, like, mothers stand still, you know, so daughters can look back and, oh, tears. But no, I love the movie because, you know, it tackles patriarchy through satire. And when you're in a room that is mostly women, because when I went here in Warsaw, every it was... They were, you know, they were guys, especially with their girlfriends that went or in groups of guys, which was amazing. Uh, Everyone was wearing Barbie style clothing. We were all wearing pink and everyone just was talking to each other, laughing. It just felt like a really warm environment. And it just kind of united, I think, women, especially worldwide, because we've all experienced, if not all, at least some of these issues are everything like having a man play a guitar for four hours I think every girl has experienced at some point this you know and it just kind of brings everyone together and I think it's really important that we spoke a little bit about this before um that it was like a quote about just being ordinary it's okay to just be yourself and be ordinary and it's really important and we see this now I believe with the new Snow White um, I don't know if you've seen any interviews with uh, the star, I believe, Rachel Ziegler. And she's coming across as hating Snow White. And it's seeing as the original one from 1937 or so is, you know, she's it's like really outdated because she's not doing anything. And a guy is stalking her. And this one, this, there's not going to be a love story that she's not going to be saved by a man and they're really focusing on this and there's a lot of backlash because everyone's saying like why not like it's what the story was why not have a love story it doesn't mean you're a bad woman doesn't mean you're a bad feminist to have love or just to you know clean a house it's okay and it's because of this Barbie movie you know I really love that they highlighted that as well and what I've also noticed that when a lot of women came out of the theaters there was a lot of like appreciation, a lot of love for this movie. And then I think there was a lot of backlash, especially by men hating on the movie. And then it was kind of turned where the focus was not only on Ken and everything he's doing. You know, Ryan Gosling was amazing in the movie. But I kept seeing videos and articles that he should win an Oscar and everything. But there wasn't that much about Margot Robbie, who was phenomenal. When you think of Barbie, she's the stereotypical Barbie. And it just really showed that we are living in a patriarchal society where men are highlighted for their achievements. I think you make a good point regarding, of course, we love Ryan Gosling. I think all the men who played their roles in Barbie did well. But it's funny because there was a statistic that showed that they had these movies, they showed an audience and they asked the audience, do you think that the female character spoke too little, spoke too much? And more often than not, men and women would say, oh, you know, the female character, she spoke too much. You know, she spoke like twice as often as her male counterparts. But then when you actually looked at it, on average, the woman spoke less than a third as much as the male actors, but they were still perceived as speaking too much, even though they spoke so much less. And so it's this idea that it doesn't have to be so competitive, you know, like Ryan Gosling can do great. We can love his part, but that means that we can still love what Margot Robbie did for this movie and for women and what Greta Gerwig did by 
telling this story in the way she did. And she also wrote it with her husband, right? So we forget that. It's and I think that's beautiful. I think that's couple goals, right? That yeah. you can have this relationship that you build together. Yeah. Another thing that I noticed afterwards, especially after watching the second time, after you know, Ken steals the dream house, changes it to not Ken land, but whatever the new type, you know. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't at all say sorry. It's Barbie consoling him and reassuring him he's enough. He doesn't take any responsibility for his actions. He doesn't, it's none of that. And it's Barbie again doing it and, you know, apologizing for giving him the wrong message and sending the wrong signals. And it just really just shows that after all that, there was no repercussion for him. And a fascinating point of this in the movie was when Margot was saying, um, or Barbie was saying to um, America that I think it was, um, what? how do I know if he likes me? I don't want to hurt him. And America's like, he he stole your house. He, you know, like brainwashed your friends. And she's like, true. You know, you had to, he, she had to be reminded and it, it's just fascinating. And I loved that it was this through a type of satire where all the women in the theaters are laughing and a lot of people, especially men, didn't understand some jokes is because women understand it, you know. And on a more serious note, it's like how many times does a woman hear her female friend talk about how she was either mistreated or cheated on or xyz and she's like oh but he's still a great man and I'm sure you know people are multifaceted but it always comes back to women feeling sorry and feeling bad and our language because like to take it back to tech the algorithms that target us are gendered but we need to realize that that's because when we speak, we are gendered. Women are more po- apologetic than men. And it's because of our upbringing where we have to be good and perfect. And men are taught to be brave and strong and courageous. And it's interesting you mentioned Snow White because I heard a lot about the backlash. I didn't see any of the trailers or interviews. But um, I think the backlash is regarding that it's straying from the original storyline. And that might be the case, but we have so many like movies about wars and aliens, and we don't talk about how aliens didn't actually play a part in the real war or whatever. And so it can be reimagined in all these fantastical ways. But if it's reimagined in a way that provides women uh, upper hand or more strength, it's suddenly seen as taking it too far. Okay, for our final question. Looking forward, what do you think we can do from all sides, every gender, um, people in our everyday life, but also in more professional roles? What can we do to really move gender equality forward and also make people aware of our unconscious biases? So there's a lot to do on a micro level so community base I think that is really important for gender equality and that's what I like to work on is more the grassroots level 
Um, an example of something that I did, especially in here in Warsaw, I, for Women's Day, created just a Women's Day event with my friends. I think there are around 10 of us and, you know, rented a part of a restaurant and I had a, a quiz of different fun facts about not even just of women, just fun things and kind of just raised awareness of women empowerment. And, you know, I wrote everyone little notes on how to be empowered and just how great they are. And most people got back to me that they've never experienced that before, being in this environment of feeling so empowered by other women. So it's just doing these small little things helps it so much because just impacting one person, it's, you know, domino effect. They they want to do it somewhere and they talk about it with their friends and they go on. Um, so you can just support women, just your friends or wherever you are in your community. If you see online women that are being bullied or harassed, you say something or you report, you know, just being there for women and just for gender equality. Um, another thing to do is just educate yourself and others. It's really important just to stay up to date, at least on the basics. So, you know, especially when people are arguing with you. I had a friend tell me recently um, she was with her friend and it was a group of guys and they asked, are you a feminist? And she goes, of course, like, why wouldn't I be? And they they just, all of them just went in on her basically saying like, why? And just giving her arguments that are pointless. And she didn't know how to react because four or five guys yelling at her, telling her she's wrong, coming up with these random statistics or anything, you don't know how to act. And I, I wouldn't know either. It's very hard, especially being in that position. So it's just best to just educate yourself know at least what's going on around the world, especially in different countries. Um, and then just also just supporting local initiatives and projects for equality and just women empowerment. And then, yeah, doing these like small scale things in your community that can help. Um, th those would be like, I would say like the four main things you can do. I think you've nailed it. Um, but I definitely agree that I think we underestimate the power of just empowering one another you mm -hmm. don't have to disagree with someone you don't have to start an argument you can just lift someone else up and that does so much and it's kind of like teaching by example also just do a good deed and hopefully it catches on yeah even just when you see women around just smiling at them the other day I was walking and I made eye contact with um, I think it was a girl in a store and she just smiled at me, you know, and I immediately smiled back. I just felt happier because it's just just kind of an unconscious support, you know, because women, unfortunately, because of society are very like tend to see other women as enemy because that's how we are depicted in media by society and everything. So you see a woman that's gorgeous and you feel threatened, you know, you might think they're stunning and they're beautiful have nothing don't have any like jealousy or anything but you just feel threatened yourself because it's what society imposed on us so by just doing even something small as smiling at women when you walk past them it might make a difference for them also too because it changes something in their mind saying like, oh she was friendly maybe all women are like that if they have this perspective already 
Well, Aaliyah, thank you so much for your time and your perspective. I loved having you on the show and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for everything. I really support everything you do, speaking of women empowerment, but it's amazing what you're doing, you know, just spreading awareness like this. So I, I applaud you. It's, it's great. Well, I appreciate that so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Technically Biased. Tune in next week for a more technical discussion regarding policing with oppressive technology. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you.